T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. What we realize is we need to move potentially thousands of people off of this hillside down into the flats during a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Todd Lando is giving me a tour of the narrow roads that wind through the hills of Corte Madera in Marin County. He's the executive coordinator at FireSafe Marin, a nonprofit helping to promote fire safety. And when it comes to fire safety, there's a lot of work to be done here. This, is, this I think, it's where the work is happening right now. I think we'll, we're, I'm not exactly sure where they are, but we're probably going to come across our crews. Lando is keeping an eye out for any overgrown brush encroaching on these cramped roads. But because it slows people down when they're evacuating. It leans out into the roadway. It forces people to drive closer to the center line of the road. He just said evacuating. In fact, these roads will be crucial during any evacuation of these nearby hillside communities. So Lando is helping to coordinate vegetation removal teams that, for the past few weeks, have been hard at work getting rid of any plants that could be an obstacle. On narrow streets like these, tree trimming and wood chipping is difficult, cramped, slow going work. But this is just one project in one community to solve one very specific problem. In fact, dozens upon dozens of communities throughout California are designated as high fire hazard severity zones. So the real project to get the state ready for this year's major fires involves thousands of people, millions of dollars, and as it turns out, quite a few goats. I'm Keith Menconi, and this is How to Bay Area, the podcast that tells you how to get stuff done in the San Francisco Bay Area. This week on the program, we're taking a look at all the work being done to keep California safe during this fire season. So we're going to be talking about how to prepare your homes. These homes have to stand alone and resist the wildfire. And how to prepare yourself. What we want people to do is to be prepared and to always be ready to leave early. Quick production note, this is actually an expanded version of a program that aired recently on KCBS In-Depth. But even if you heard that one, you still might want to stick around. We've actually got even more tips here with a whole extra section on home modifications you can make to keep your property safe. Right here. So the before and after pictures are kind of startling. Let's get back to Todd Lando and all the work that he's doing because for Marin... He really has been an evangelist for fire safety. This is the first time I've been up here since they finished this section. As I rode along with him, he seemed impressed by the progress of the vegetation removal crews, especially compared to what it looked like before. This was impenetrable vegetation mm. just a week ago. Vegetation mm. leaning out on both sides of the road all the way into the roadway. Whereas it's a narrow street right now, you couldn't see the house that's at the end in this turn here because of the vegetation leaning into the roadway. Now, Lando has got a few different hats here. 
He's in the firefighting world himself. He works for the Central Marin Fire Department as a vegetation management and wildfire specialist. But he's also helping to coordinate the work of FireWise. Let's pause here for a second because we're going to be talking a lot about this. FireWise is a federally backed national program which recognizes communities that meet certain fire safety standards and then provides those communities with support. So if you meet those standards, you can say, we are a FireWise communities. We have done the work. We have put in the time. We are more fire safe than others. And then there's certain benefits that come with that. Now, Lando says getting residents on board with fire prevention work, well, that's crucial. And, and there are a few hillside communities that w- are not engaged. The homeowners just haven't, I mean, I hate to say this, they haven't woke up yet. Those communities aren't getting the attention right now because it's so important for us to work with them. But that's all beginning to change. The FireWise program has seen a spike in interest over the last few years as news breaks of one devastating fire after another. Lando, who's been working with residents for years now, has seen the changing attitudes firsthand. The sense of urgency has dramatically increased. The community is aware for the first time in my 30-year career. I, I see people really clamoring, reaching out to us for information, organizing their own neighborhoods, working with their neighbors better than they ever have in the past to try, try, try to uh, you know, reduce the risk at home. A, a significant uh, uptick in the amount of interest in what we provide, which is a fantastic thing. You know, I'd, I'd say that uh, before 2015, the Valley Fire in in uh, Lake County was the first of this series of catastrophic fires, I think, close to home. Um, before 2015, we really had to reach out and, uh, and recruit hard to get three or four people to show up to one of our seminars or meetings. Now it's standing room only, you know, uh, and we're, we're packing the house, you know, multiple nights each week with training and seminars and, and educational opportunities for residents. So on the one hand... This sense of urgency has given fire personnel a little bit more elbow room to carry out needed projects. This vegetation project we've been discussing, for example, well, it's noisy and it blocks streets, and Lando says it would have been a lot more difficult to get traction for it if residents didn't understand why the work is needed. On the other hand, the recent fires have also given communities the motivation to put in the fire prevention elbow grease for themselves. To get recognized as a FireWise community, you actually need to show up and do some work. Requirements include forming local committees, performing a risk assessment, developing an action plan, and carrying out fire prevention volunteer work. Cut grass, cut weeds, remove vegetation, trim back trees. Um, Removing juniper is something we're encouraging them to do. So we've seen neighborhood work parties where they go out and target a specific plant species that we know to be hazardous. Juniper is the worst of all of them. So we're we're encouraging these neighborhoods to go out, identify the juniper, identify the people who need help removing it, and work together to do it. So it's not just slapping on a bumper sticker. The program takes work, which makes that spike in interest even more significant. Lando says so far in Marin, there are almost 60 active FireWise communities. 
those communities are engaged in in work parties and education almost every day Uh, you know we have events uh, we'll help them organize community work parties really popular for them to host community chipper days where they hire a tree company share the cost in the community sometimes we help cover it with grants from fire safe marin to bring a, a tree service in to dispose of vegetation um we encourage them, to, the communities, to identify vulnerable neighbors. You know, a lot of times it's an elderly neighbor, somebody who's lived there, probably paid taxes and kept great uh, maintenance in their yard for generations, but now they've reached a point in their life where they can't keep up with the, with maintaining their property. So we, we encourage the neighbors to go and create a work party to go help that elderly neighbor out. We encourage them to identify people who might have special needs in the community and give them assistance through vegetation clearance or just assistance around the house, assistance with evacuation planning. Mm. And has enthusiasm and willingness to participate. I mean, again, this is another example of something that takes, it's a bit of a burden. It takes time out of people's day. It's hard work. Is this something that's uh, seen a little bit more enthusiasm as well? A huge amount of enthusiasm. We're, we're seeing you know, a lot of energy being put into these work parties, a lot of energy being put into the community chipper days. And, and we find that the FireWise program helps encourage it. We, we even locally um, uh, encourage some healthy uh, um, competition among neighbors we'll we'll let the the one neighborhood know that the neighborhood next door cleared more vegetation than them and that that next weekend they should go out and work more and we've even seen some healthy wagers between uh, neighborhoods where they say whoever uh, clears the least vegetation has to host the barbecue and buy the beer (laughs) you know so (laughs) works in third grade classrooms works (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it works really well here in Marin And, and it's interesting I think that firewise program has been as much a community building exercise as anything Uh, one of the big challenges we've run into is getting neighbors to talk to neighbors we've i think we've lost the art of talking over our fences and getting to know our neighbors Uh, and that's become an impediment to reducing vegetation We, we get calls every day from neighbors who say i don't know my neighbor but they have a tree that's leaning onto my property can you help me get them to remove it they, you know, the people tend to think that that tree is a huge fire hazard, whether it is or not. But what we say is that, that, that we can provide some education, we can provide some support for it, but really what's needed to get that or the results is a knock on the neighbor's door and probably, you know, a, a bottle of wine and a sit-down discussion. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's far more effective than having the fire department or a fire inspector come knock on the door. Mm-hmm. That, that neighborliness is, is a lost art, and it's something we're really working to bring back to help ironically reduce the fire hazard here. So now is the portion of the show where, as we so often do on this program, we're going to lean into the how-to part of the how-to Bay Area and talk about the fire preparation work we could all be doing to get ready for fire season. Now there's obviously a lot of things we should consider, but here's what tops Lando's list. I I think the, the first thing people need to do is learn about hardening your home hardening your home as in doing the upkeep and making all the small changes that are necessary to make your home more resistant to fire hardening your home is looking for vulnerabilities to the tiny wind-blown embers that float ahead of a fire usually we look at the roof the materials a roof a roof is made from the uh, fallen vegetation that collects in rain gutters and on roofs we're looking at things like the vents that go into attic spaces and crawl spaces. We want to see that those are protected so that embers can't enter those spaces. 
We, uh, we look at deck surfaces, even things as simple as the front doormat. A jute fiber, natural fiber doormat is vulnerable to igniting if an ember lands on it. So hardening the home is the first thing every, every homeowner should focus on. We'll be discussing the long-term fixes you can make to protect your home from fire in a little bit more depth later on in the program. But we're going to leave that topic for a moment and move on now instead to another important task, securing the space around your home. And here's where that familiar term, defensible space, is going to come into our conversation. Yeah, so defensible space is the area, the landscaping around a house, really starting at your outside walls and moving in California, we consider 100 feet from the structure um, to be the area that should be maintained as defensible space. And it's where you're going to maintain landscaping, maintain plants, whether it's their plants that you've put there or native vegetation. Um, in a state that's less conducive to fire, a state, uh, you know, through maintenance and irrigation, removing dead wood, dead material, cutting grasses, limbing up trees, you're maintaining your environment in a way that, that reduces the intensity of a fire as it gets closer to your home. And something that people may not realize is that defensible space, it does mean, you know, all that area around your home. But some of the most critical area is the the three to five feet directly around the, the structure itself. Yeah, th- this has been a, a, a renewed emphasis from us to, to tell people that the, the most important part to focus on is that the first five feet. Um, we, we're seeing ordinances adopted in Marin, in fact, probably some of the first in the state that will eliminate all combustibles, plants and other combustibles within the first five feet of a home. The town of Mill Valley is adopting an ordinance right now that will, will eliminate the ability to have any vegetation immediately adjacent to a home. Uh, as far as defensible space goes, there's probably no better approach to reducing the, the chances that a home will ignite during a fire. Uh as far as landscaping, people also need to be conscious of the sorts of landscaping that is around their house. Any advice for landscaping that is going to be more fire resilient than others? Yeah, absolutely. We, we strongly... No juniper bushes, I take it? Yeah, the juniper bushes uh, in particular, you know, there are a handful of, of individual plant species that are extraordinarily hazardous. Juniper is the top of that list. Italian cypress is another. Bamboo, black acacia are all ones that we're, we're targeting. You know, just the native grasses that grow and dry out in Northern California are a real vulnerability if you don't cut them. Um, that, that said, breaking up your landscape using a lot of hardscaping paths, retaining walls, it's a great way to stop the spread of fire. Um, people need to focus on things like the mulch they use in their yards. We don't want to see any combustible mulch, whether it's bark or certainly not like shredded redwood bark, sometimes called the gorilla hair bark. We don't want to see that within five feet of any building at all. We want to see uh, heavier bark mulch to retain moisture as you move farther away from buildings and a careful choice of landscaping plants. I recommend looking at your local Fire Safe Council. Like, like Fire Safe Marin, we offer a plant list to help homeowners select plants that are easier to maintain and are more resistant to igniting during a fire. Um, and yeah, focusing on that defensible space is critical as long as you do it in conjunction with the home hardening techniques. Now, as far as financial support goes, you know, what's out there to help homeowners make some of these changes, perform some of this maintenance? Well, it's kind of a patchwork. And what might be available for you depends a lot on where you live. FireSafe Marin and local fire safe councils throughout the Bay Area, throughout the state, provide 
some level of support. We provide uh, uh, neighborhood-level grants for chipper days. We encourage uh, application of grant funds from CAL FIRE, state, federal, local sources to bring grant money into neighborhoods to assist neighbors. But right now, there's not a lot of, uh, there's, there's really not a lot of direct funding available to homeowners. It's a question we get every day. So in this area, doing your own research is going to be key. Ultimately, I think it's up to the individual homeowner to recognize that the best thing they can do to protect their home and their family is invest in the maintenance of their own property. So mm. right now, it's really up to the individual homeowners to take the action and, and you know, make their own property safer. It's a lot to take on, no doubt about it. But Lando says the evidence is pretty clear that this work, you know, hardening homes, increasing the defensible space... It really does make a difference, and we've actually seen some real-world tests. 2008 is a magic year for us. It was the year that California adopted the, the wildfire building standards, the wildland-urban interface building standards. And what we found during the, the uh, campfire in Paradise last year is that 51% of the homes built after 2008, so built to that current standard, survived. Uh, a tremendous difference, almost three times as many homes survived when they were built to the current building code. And that's really getting back to what I said earlier, that, that the science, the materials you need to build a wildfire-resistant home, are, they're all here. They're on the shelf at your local, your local hardware store. Um, you can find everything you need, all of the information you need to build a home that will survive these wildfires right now. There's no magic to it. We're, we don't need to wait for some new technology that's just around the corner. We know how to do it today. Hmm. Now, this might be an opportune moment to mention that this portion of the interview was actually carried out right next to a pretty sizable herd of goats. Unfortunately for my audio purposes, they weren't really in a bleating kind of mood, more in a rustle around and stare at my microphone not making a sound kind of mood. But that's fine. These goats don't need to cooperate with me because they're also on team fire prevention. Their role to play in all this? Chomping on many different kinds of vegetation and basically acting like living, breathing lawnmowers, getting rid of excess vegetation quickly and cheaply. We're able to, we're using these goats. There's three herds of goats, 400 goats each. Um, they've been here since March, and they'll have grazed about 600 acres of land by the end of March. All right, and I'm just going to toss it one more very quick aside. Fun fact about goats that I actually learned from Lando during our conversation. It turns out it's best to use relatively young male goats for this kind of work because at that young age, they get pretty competitive. What we're finding is they'll, they'll eat things that the other herds of goats or sheep won't eat. They eat things that they don't even like to eat, but they compete with each other. And if they see one of the other goats eating it, the other ones will rush in to, and fight them to eat it just to keep them from getting it. <laughs> it's like there's a psychology and sociology involved in this, you know, just to the, the, within the herd of goats. So they, they'll fight each other to eat things that they don't like to eat just to keep the other ones from eating it. So it's like the bro-goat culture means that we're getting more grass taken off. I, I think that's it, yeah. So really effective way we found to reduce vegetation. It's cost-effective. All right, uh, enough about goats. I, I actually only brought them up in the first place to highlight yet another form of ongoing fire prevention work to show that there are simply no shortage of ways to fight fire and therefore no shortage of fire prevention work to be done. 
know, in following you around today and seeing all the different kinds of work that go into this, you know, you have a work party there, you have crews out there, you have goats here. It, it does seem like something that takes a village. It takes so many different things coming together to, uh, to, to really make communities resilient to fire. How, how confident are you that the work is being done this year to really bring it all together? Uh, the work's being done, and it's been done for years and years. Uh, you know, the community is aware of the work we're doing right now and supporting it in ways they haven't in the past. But, but I'm absolutely confident that what we're doing is, is and will continue to be effective. But we need to do more. There's no doubt about it. No, the, the, this is a drop in the bucket. We we will make an impact on on communities in Marin and through the Bay Area and Northern California with the work we're doing. But we have to continue it. This is not something we do in 2019 and we're done with it. This is just got to become part of our lifestyle it's part of the way we need to live in northern california uh, we, we are always going to have wildfires and we're always going to have to do this kind of work to maintain our properties we're going to have to accept that we need to build homes that are resilient to wildfires we need to retrofit our current building stock the houses that are out there right now that were built prior to 2008 really need to be upgraded and that's going to be through encouraging homeowners to take it on themselves probably through things like tax incentives certainly through building codes and retrofitting uh, you know remodels uh, and over time we're going to build a much more resilient community all right cool anything else uh, that you want to toss in there that i forgot to ask And that was Todd Lando, Executive Coordinator of FireSafe Marin. All right, so we've been touching on this in a few different ways already so far, but now let's tackle it head on. What are the investments that you can make in your home to make it safer? We already heard from Lando that these home modifications can make a huge difference, but what does the work actually entail? Well, for that, we're going to turn to another fire prevention expert. Making sure you have the good roof, making sure you have resistant siding, you have good windows. It's simply not hard to do. Um, That's Michelle Steinberg, the Wildfire Division Director at the National Fire Protection Association. That is, incidentally, the group that oversees the FireWise program. And uh, she actually has a pretty encouraging perspective on wildfire preparedness. It's a lot easier than dealing with floods where you have to elevate a home on pilings or dealing with hurricanes where you have to anchor foundations to the rest of the house. But for fire, it's very simple. It's commonly available materials relatively. You can find affordable alternatives that will still be uh, ignition resistant. All right. Relatively affordable. Nice. So I asked Steinberg to break it down for us. What are the major home improvement projects we should be making? Jeep started us off up on the roof. Well, I think starting with the roof and making sure that you have uh, basically a non-flammable roof and underlayment that's in good condition, that there aren't any cracks, uh, broken tiles, any openings anywhere along the roof or the uh, the fascia that would allow. If, if you think about uh, possibly critters getting in there, birds or other animals, or be, being able to build nests, you do not want that in your roof because not only can uh, animals uh, invading your roof bring in things that are flammable, but also this is where embers will blow in. So the roofs, roofs, uh, roofs dominate the likelihood for ignition. So this is where you really want to make sure anything landing on your roof, any firebrands or embers uh, collecting on your roof don't have a surface that can burn. And on that note of preventing embers from getting in, uh, putting up metal mesh or, or screens, that can be pretty important too, right? Sure. So screening is a very good idea. Um, 
a lot of the openings that you know we need in our homes, such as vents, really should be screened with as uh, fine metal mesh as possible. Uh, we recommend eighth of an inch or smaller. You do need the airflow in some situations. And we've uh, at NFPA, we've been working with our partners in uh, the research group uh, with the insurance industry, a group called the Insurance Information, uh, excuse me, Insurance Institute of Business and Home Safety. And this is IBHS is a lot easier to say. And they have done some amazing testing on uh, these possibilities with full-scale homes. And they show that even when burning material is on a non-flammable roof, it will, it will you know, not burn the roof. So this is really a quality thing to do. Um, and the screening really helps to minimize the penetration of embers coming into vents. One of the things they also found was straight line winds at a gable end vent. So that's if you picture the kind of a peak roof and that side under the peak is uh, the gable end and putting, putting uh, vents there tend to uh, be more vulnerable. And so that's definitely area you wanna screen. And of course, if you're designing a new home and you're in a windy area, you might wanna think about some other kind of vent arrangement than a gable end. Uh, it's not that they're the worst thing that you can have, but they are more vulnerable than other kinds of arrangements. All right. And uh, what about windows? Are there some windows that are safer than others? Sure. So the big issue with windows is you don't want a whole lot of radiant heat near your window. Um, the California uh, the California State Building Code has a Chapter 7A that deals with wildland urban interface codes, and windows is one of the important features. So basically they require uh, you know, insulated material uh, with a minimum uh, of tempering so that the essentially if you have uh, windows that are double pane, for example, that's a better protection because if the outside pane should crack or fail, you have an inside pane that may hold uh, so that you don't get embers or flames into the home. Mm. And uh, just very generally speaking, what about the materials that actually make up the home? How can people learn more about what materials to use that are relatively safe? Well, uh, with the uh, the IBHS group, um, NFPA has published a series of simple one-page wildfire research fact sheets, and they go through each of the um, elements of the home, the roof, windows, um, siding, et cetera. We're, we're doing more of them all the time that give you basically, you know, these are the best types and very general. So materials, whether it be tile, concrete, asphalt, et cetera, um, and these are the better choices. And so it's pretty easy to uh, find out what kind of things your house is made out of and, and look against those welfare research fact sheets to find out more. Now, all of this preparation is to deal with a stark reality that we learned over and over again in California's recent fires, that when the fire comes, resources will be stretched thin. With these very large fires, there's not going to be a fire truck in every front yard trying to put the fire out. There simply aren't enough people. There isn't enough water. There aren't enough vehicles. So these homes have to stand alone and resist the wildfire. And if you've built with the proper materials and you've paid attention to your maintenance, your home's going to have a much better chance of surviving. And that was Michelle Steinberg with the National Fire Protection Association. Another helpful resource, California State Fire Marshal gives guidance on which home products and materials are fire safe. They have a searchable database on their website. We'll provide a link in the show notes. Down here, starting to get into the use down here. 
Now, another group that's hard at work this fire season, of course, is the firefighters themselves. Fire crews are also out clearing vegetation, sometimes with prescribed burns. And in addition to that, they're keeping their skills sharp by carrying out many, many training exercises. Got it. Okay, good. And this training is important because even if the season hasn't been particularly severe so far, when it comes to fire, it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen next. Well, we always start our fire seasons as if it is going to be bad, obviously. That's Cal Fire Battalion Chief Lucas Spellman. We have to be prepared regardless of what the fire season looks like uh, well ahead of time. So we've, we've had firefighters prepared. Uh, we have... Uh, all of our firefighters that are full-time, they've always been training throughout the wintertime because that's our good time, obviously, to train and to get things going. If at all possible, you don't want your first fire to be the first fire that you came back from uh, being laid off as a firefighter. You'd like to put a, a hose in your hand before that to polish it so you're ready to go at 100% when you are, are tasked with fighting a fire. So a lot's being done, a lot of work going on, but really the main reason I wanted to get Chief Spellman on the show is so that we could pick the brain of a fire professional to get us prepared mentally for fire season by giving us a refresher course of sorts on wildfire basics. First thing we're going to work on, know your news. You know, reports about fire, even from a great station like KCBS, can be confusing if you don't know what to listen for. So we're going to hit a couple of fire news basics right now, starting with how do those fires get their names? Spoiler alert, the campfire was not started by a campfire. Uh, this year and uh, had them across the state. Uh, so, Chief Spellman, you know, this was a source of a lot of confusion last year, these uh, fires and their names. Uh, help us out here. Where do these fires actually get their names from because they're not really descriptors of the fires it has more to do with geography right yeah so the i'll give you a little history lesson on it originally we would have uh, on fires we would have uh the first arriving fire engine would actually name the fire and so as time went on uh it wouldn't always lend to a geographical area or like a street or something like that. It, and maybe the incident commander would become creative with that. And so now we are now we are doing a geographical area, a street name, something that we can tie it to that is very specific to that. So as we as we talk about like the campfire, um, we're not naming it after anything that might have caused it. It's named after a geographical area or a street, and that's how it would uh, be generated to that. Uh, sometimes there's extremely long street names, and obviously they would have to pick something a little bit closer to that because it would be very hard to continually using that as a, as a name over the radio. But uh, most of the time I find that uh, it's either the area or a street name that would uh, be the fire's name. All right. Very helpful. Thank you for that. Uh, hopefully that clears up a little bit of confusion out there. The next important fire term that I want to get everybody up to speed on is uh, the term of containment. You'll often hear on the radio, this fire is 10% contained, now it's 12% contained, now 50% contained. What do we mean when we use this term containment? You know, and that's a great question. Um, 
the big thing for people to understand about containment is it's not tied to the progression of the fire. And a lot of people think, well, the fire must still be burning. It's at 10%. And so something always to look for is that the rate of spread has been stopped. That would tell you that the fire has been essentially stopped, not completely put out, but the fire is no longer burning forward and uh, consuming more acres. Uh, the, the percentage of containment means is that around the fire, in every single fire, no matter how big it is, we have to put a dirt line that we scrape by hand, and that's where our hand crews and hot shots throughout the state uh, come out, but they'll actually scrape it down to bare dirt, and it separates the burnt area, which we call the black, and the green area, which is the brush, even though most of the time it's brown in color. And so what that does is every time we get a section of that, that's the percentage we're talking about. So when we say there's 10% of the fire has been contained, that means 10% of the outer portion of the fire has dirt separating the burned part, the black, and the green part, which is the brush and trees. And sometimes we call it just a scratch line where they just dig it up. If it's a small fire, it may only be a foot or two wide, but if you're in a forest, that might have to be hundreds of feet wide. It may take bulldozers to do that because we don't want trees falling over the line and causing a fire. And, and so when we say it's 100%, we know at 100%, if we drive away from that fire, we know that no matter how windy it gets, no matter what happens, that the fire won't jump over that line. And that's why it always takes a lot longer for the containment number to go up than you seeing smoke because sometimes you'll see a fire and it's at 70% contained, but you haven't seen smoke for two days. Well, it just takes time for those crews to work their way around the fire to put it 100% out. Mm. All right. Okay. So uh, we've now covered the naming of fires. Uh, we've covered containment. Let's move on to the last topic that I want to broach with you. What sources of information should people be using during a fire? You know, the fire is ongoing. It's either close to me or I'm worried that it's close to me. What would you hope that people out there are aware of that they can use in that situation? Well, the biggest thing for us is um, if there's a fire in your area, I always find that people always want to call to see if it's safe for them to stay. And I think at, for ourselves, if you ever feel like that you're in danger, you probably are. And the and if you evacuated your home well before the fire got there and you were safe and the fire never got to your area, all it would be is an inconvenience that you had left your house. But when you stay, then you're putting your life at danger. And so that's what we want people to do is to be prepared and to always be ready to leave early. Because as we saw in some of the fires this year, um, there were so many people who stayed so long that it actually created a traffic jam within the fire area. And sometimes the fire moved so fast that they didn't have much time to do that, and people were having a hard time getting out of those fires. So it's always good to be proactive. If you feel like you're in danger, get out. And if you're prepared, it won't be much of a, of a effort for you to do that. And if it's not in your area and you end up getting out of there, maybe you just go have a dinner uh, out and then come home to a safe home and, 
and uh, nothing more has happened to you. Mm, and and I know that uh, Cal Fire has an app as well, the Cal Fire app. Is that a source of information that you would recommend people use during a fire? The app is very helpful. It does have a area on the app that allows you to be notified of fires in your area. But the best place, the quickest information you can get is your local Uh, what we call a unit, which is a geographical area in CAL FIRE. So whatever fire department CAL FIRE you are, you can actually get onto their Facebook or Twitter account, and that will have the exact time that they release that information will be the quickest, because then we take that information and put it on the app. So there could be a um, just a little delay between that app and the local. And so uh, wherever you live throughout the 21 units throughout the state, each of them has a Twitter and a Facebook account that you can get that information real time from them when they release it. And so that's your best bet. And obviously your app has your secondary, which is very convenient. All right, and that was Lucas Spellman, CAL FIRE Battalion Chief. And uh, just to toss this into the mix for a second, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the fact that radio is, of course, another very important source of information during a fire disaster. You know, even if the phone lines are down, even if the internet is down, radio is going to be broadcasting from outside of the fire zone, so we're going to be able to get that information to you even if, you know, the power lines are down in your area, as long as you have a radio and can get a signal, we can get you that very important information. So keep that radio on hand, make it part of your uh, disaster kit. We will do our best to keep you well informed during a fire. All right, well, we've covered a lot of ground today, but I actually want to close out the program with a comment from Todd Lando. He was telling me about the interesting moment that we find ourselves in right now, because, as he says, that sense of urgency for fire prevention and the willingness that goes along with it to to put in the work, well, that really is here right now. But for Lando, there's also a little bit of worry because there's just no saying when that could change. Well, it's been sort of a, a, a joke, although I hesitate to use that word, that, that the moment there's an earthquake, people are going to forget about the wildfire risk. So um, the hope for him and others is to make wildfire preparedness a way of life for all of us here in California. You know, we don't want you to be dominated by concern about earthquakes, floods, or fires, but we also want you, when you make simple decisions around your house, to be making those decisions, whether it's the building materials you use or whether it's choosing to put a heavy object on the top shelf of a bookcase, we want you to think about the risk of the place that you live in and make decisions based on your understanding of that. And I think our job is to educate the community what those risks are, teach them simple ways to make their lifestyle safer, and over time build up a more resilient community. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate it, Keith. Todd Lando, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, very and good. And they're still silent. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing nothing never for any noise. Yep. <laughs> You've been listening to How to Bay Area. Remember, you can find links to many of the resources we discussed today by visiting the show page. Just head on over to kcbsradio.com. 
There you can also find past editions of this very program. Or you can also find us on iTunes, and if you are listening through iTunes, please do leave a rating and review while you're there. Would really appreciate that. Thanks for listening. I'm Keith Menconi, and we will be back again soon with more on how to make the most of your life here in the Bay Area. We'll see you then. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.